Welcome back, Gaming Brainiacs, to the podcast. Talking about chapter 2.3. We finished the chapter. The podcast went live. I published the um, discussion prompts yesterday, one day ago. But just now, I've gone on to um, look at the discussion, and lo and behold, the post is missing. So I thought, did I not press submit? Why is there no... Why is yesterday's discussion forum missing? And I was certain that I um, did it, but couldn't find it. Uh, and then when I looked in my profile, I could see that it was submitted, but it was removed by an auto mod um, under the suspicion that it might be spam. Um, which, of course, it isn't. And it was automatically removed. I don't think it was marked as spam or anything like that. It's just some auto mod that said, like, um, it automatically detects spam. So, sorry that it was missing. I also think it's weird that the auto mod would remove the post of a mod. You know, I'm a moderator of this forum. So, it'd be weird for me to put spam on a forum that I moderate. Anywho, uh, hopefully that doesn't happen again. I don't really know why that happened now, randomly, after, you know five years of doing this it suddenly starts flagging things as spam um <clears throat> but not to worry okay so anyway there's no discussion from yesterday because we uh yeah because of that um my discussion prompt hey maybe it's a good thing <laughs> maybe hey maybe this discussion prompt is why it was removed it says I hate it when I'm trying to speak to the gods because I'm a genius and then some stupid ungenius interrupts me. <laughs> Literally last week I swear I was like two minutes from stigmating and then reaching Nirvana and becoming Jesus and then some peasant came along, sigh. Um, I actually liked this chapter or at least this last scene of it where AE has gone underground to meditate and try to become enlightened and you know there's not much chance of just randomly getting enlightened on a on a uh of, of a of an afternoon but he seems to think you know if these commoners hadn't have come along then it might have worked which i just i just find that very obnoxious and also i don't know there's something slightly endearing about it i can kind of get it like, I feel like that's the kind of thing I might have thought when I was 16 or something. <laughs> um, anywho, chapter three goes like this. As we rode to Newgrange along smooth roads between tall hedges, the green undulating country flowing on either side, melting into grey distances, A.E. told me that we should see at Newgrange the greater temple of the Druids, and through this discourse the hope glimmered that perhaps we might be more fortunate at Newgrange than we had been at Dorth. It was only reasonable that the gods should show themselves to us if they de deemed us worthy, and if we were not worthy, A.E. at least, who were, who were worthy among living men. The Presbyterian ministers would be absent from Newgrange, and we rode on, A.E. thinking of Angus and his singing birds, myself of Midir, at the feast among the spears and the wine cups, his arms around Etain, the two passing through the window in the roof, and how all that the host assembled below saw two white swans circling in the air above the palace. 
Whither did they go? Did who go? he answered. Etain and Medea. Towards the fairy mountain in Slivenamon, where Etain rejoined her kindred on the lake. Legends beguile the monotony of endless roads and hedges, but at the next crossroads it was plain that A.E. was uncertain which road to take, and our eyes sought vainly a man and a woman to direct us. Miles went by without a cottage, and if we came upon one it was locked, the herdsman being away, opening gates, changing his cattle from pasture to pasture. The cottages became rarer, and we rode almost in despair through the green wilderness till we came at last to a ruined dwelling, and a curious one, not exactly a cabin, for it was built of brick and stood above the level of the road. A rubble heap had to be scaled to reach the one room that remained, and it was in this lonely tenement that we found our guide, a child of seven or eight, dressed in a little shirt and an immense pair of trousers, which he hitched up from time to time, a sharp-witted little fellow as alert as a terrier. You've come out of your road altogether and we'll have to go back a couple of miles. Or maybe it'll be best for you to go on up the, this road till you come to the big hill and buyant and then turn to your left. The little fellow took our fancy and as we were leaving, we turned back to ask who lived with him. He said his mother lived with him and she went out every day to the neighbours to try to get a bit. We told him that he had ridden many. We had ridden many miles, and we had seen nobody. The little fellow looked puzzled, and, on pressing him to say where his mother had gone, he mentioned the name of some town which A told me was twenty miles away. Can your mother walk twenty miles? Faith, she can, sir, and back, and she leaves you all alone. We gave him a slice of bread and butter which he held in his hand, not daring to eat it in our presence. We pressured him to eat, and he took a bite timidly, and moved away like a shy animal. As a slice of bread and butter did not seem to us to be sufficient reward for his directions to New Grange, I felt in my pocket for a shilling and asked him how much his mother brought back with her. Sometimes a few coppers. His eyes lit up when I handed him the shilling, and he said, That'll buy us two grand at dinners. She won't have to be going away again for a long time. You don't like your mother to leave you here all day long? Again, the little fellow seemed unwilling to answer us, but she'll be back tonight. She will, if she doesn't get a sup too much. And if she does, you'll stay here all night by yourself? Aren't you afraid? All alone at night? I am when the big dog does come. What dog? A mad dog. He does wake me up out of my bed. But... The dog doesn't come into the room. No, but I do be hearing him tearing the stones outside. And do you ever see him? When he gets up there, I do, and he pointed to the broken wall. He was up there last night, and he was looking down at me, his eyes red as fire, and his hair all stuck up again in the moon. What did you do? I got under the clothes. A nightmare, I whispered to A.E. But if the dog be mad, I said to the little chap, he shouldn't be allowed to run about the country. He ought to be shot. Why don't the police? How could they shoot him? He'd be dead already. But if he be dead, how is it that he comes up on the rafters? I don't know, sir. Whose dog is it? Martin Spelassi owned him, and we learned that Martin Spelsi lived down about a mile down the road, and had brought the dog at Drogheda to guard his orchid. 
which he was robbed every year. But the dog turned out to be a sleepy old thing that no one was afraid of and were robbed every year until the dog died. Then were they robbed no longer? No, because they do be afeard of his ghost. He's in the orchard every night, a terrible black beast, and nobody would go within a mile of that orchard as soon as the dark evening comes in. But if he, the ghost, is in the orchard, watching, how is it that he comes here? The little fellow looked at me with a puzzled stare and answered that he didn't know, but accepted the suggestion that ghosts could be in two places at once. We rode away, a little overcome at the thought, as the child asleep that night among the rags in the corner, fearing every moment lest the dog should appear on the rafters. But we couldn't take him with us, and we bicycled on, thinking how Martin Spalassi's apples were better watched over by the ghost of a dog than by the real dog. And when we came to a part of the road shaded by trees, we got off our bicycles and went through the gate into a driveway. A woman came from the cottage, and I can still hear her say, You won't be writing your names on the stones. On the sacred stones, I answered. Well, you see, sir, tourists do be coming from all parts, and my orders are to get a promise from everyone visiting the cave not to write on the walls. Of course, one can't be knowing everybody that comes here, but I'm sure that no gentleman like you would be doing such a thing. Don't say to expostulate, and A.E. took me by the arm, and we passed out of the shadow of the trees into the bright blue daylight. On our left was a tumulus, a small hill overgrown with hazel and blackthorned thickets, and here and there a young ash coming into leaf. On all sides great stones stood on end, or had fallen, and I would have stayed to examine the carvings or the scratches with which these were covered, but A.E. pointed to the entrance of the temple, triangular opening no larger than a fox or a badger's den, and at his bidding I went down on my hands and knees and remembering that we had not come to Newgrange to investigate but to evoke. We remained upwards for an hour in the tumulus, and no sign being vouchsafed to us that the gods were listening, we began our crawl through the long twisting burrow towards the daylight and it did in dejected spirit, wondering at the cause of our failure, asking ourselves secretly why we had been ignored. We climbed over the hill to discover a robin singing in a blackthorn, the descendant, no doubt, of a robin that had seen the druids, and it being necessary to say something, I asked A.E. whence the stones had come for the building of the temple under our feet, for we had not passed anything like a quarry since early morning, but he could not tell me whence they had come, and our talk branched into a learned discussion regarding the antiquity of man, myself muttering that about a million years ago, man separated himself from the ape, a.e. repudiating the ape theory strenuously all the way down the hillside, saying that the world was not old enough to make the theory of evolution possible. At least a billion more years would have to be added to the history of our planet, so it could not be else that the man had been evolved from the gods. There could be no doubt of it, he said. And we sat down in front of the temple to munch bread and butter, a restless fellow, for no sooner were the slices finished than he began to sketch the stones. And I remember thinking that it was as well he had an occupation, for one cannot talk in front of a druid temple 4,000 years old. The same landscape that had astonished me at Dalth lay before me, the same green wilderness with trees emerging like vapour, 
just as in A.E.'s pastels, my eyes closed, and through the lids I began to see strange forms moving towards the altar headed by Druids. Ireland was wonderful then, said my dreams, and on opening my eyes, Ireland seemed as wonderful in the blue morning, the sky hanging about her, unfolding like a great convolvulus. My eyes closed, kind and beneficent gods drew near, and I was awakened by a god, surely, for when I opened my eyes, a giant outline showed through the sun haze miles away. Has Angus risen to greet us, or MacLear come up from the sea, I asked, and shading his eyes with his hand, A.E. studied the giant outline for a long time. It's Tara, he said, and that you're looking at. On a clear evening, Tara can be seen from Dugrange. Tara, Tara appearing in person to him, who was relating the story of her lovers, and certain that there was more in this apparition than accidental weather, I started to my feet. At that moment, sounds of voices called me back again to 1901, the voices of clergymen coming through the gate, and askance we watched them cross the field and go down on their hands and knees. Let us go, A.E. Yes, let us go to Tara and escape from the Christian belly gods. But Tara lies out of our road some twenty miles, A.E. answered as we rode away, but the gods have shown Tara to us because they await us. Isn't there that they'd be waiting us? He answered. And when I asked him why he thought we should be more likely to meet the gods elsewhere, he told me that he did not remember that the gods had ever been seen at Tara. And therefore you think that the apparition of the hill as we lay among the cromlechs was accidental? Of course you know best. But even though the hand of providence be not in it, I'd like to go to Tara, for I could get into my dialogue glimpses of the great plains about the hill. He said that any allusions to the woods that Grania roamed with Laban should be drawn from my knowledge of nature rather than from any particular observation of a particular place. No one can imagine a landscape that he has not seen, A.E. All my best landscapes come to me in a vision. Last night I saw giants rolling great stones up a hillside with intent to destroy a city. Perhaps the hillside you saw was Tara. No, he said it wasn't. Tara was not destroyed by giants, but by an ecclesiastic. And therefore was a, was worthless, I muttered. And we talked a long while of the monk who had walked around Tara, ringing a bell and cursing the city, which was taken, abandoned, an island given over to division, which was has endured ever since, I added. A.E. admitted that this memory of Tara did not endear the hill to him, but that was not his reason for not wishing to get to go there. It is at least twenty miles from here, he said, and I don't think there is an inn on this side, nor am I sure that there is one on the other. We would have to sleep at Dash. And he mentioned the name of some village, which I have forgotten. But Monaster Boyce is only six miles from here, and the herdsman's wife will be able to give us tea and bread and butter. I remember a man telling me that he had gone to Wales to track borrow from village to village. I shall not be accused by anyone, he said, of lacking sympathy for any place visited by borrow, but all I remember of my walk from Carnarvon to Bethgelert is that the beer at Bethgelert was the best I ever drank, and this story has always seemed to me so human that I am now tempted to fit it into this narrative, turning excellent beer into tea so delicious that its flavour lingers forever in the palate. But if I were to introduce a thread of fiction into this narrative, the weft will be torn asunder, and anyone who knows me at all would not believe 
that in a cup of tea, however delicious, I could drink oblivion of the ruins of the great abbey through which we wandered one summer evening, almost within hearing of voices whispering about the arches, the infoliated capitals and the worn and broken carvings, the darkness of time lightened, and we saw monks reading and painting in their cells, one rising suddenly, delighted from the scriptures he had succeeded in clearing up in a gloss an obscure point that had troubled him for years, and then another appeared, bent over a pattern of endless complexity, his hand moving over the parchment quickly and surely. In the ghostly silence of the ruins we heard, if I heard vaguely, he must have heard distinctly, the matter of a monk scanning a poem, a saint, no doubt, that had begun to weary of the promiscuousness of a great monastery, and was meditating further retirement from the world we rode away thinking that his poem was in praise of some lake island whither he would go like maraban a e remembered some of marban's lines and he told me that they were written in the halicon days in which ireland lay dreaming century after century arriving gradually at the art of the jeweler the illuminator and the carver of symbols marban is a great poet the lines a e repeated to me are as native as the hazels under which the poet lived, and as sweet as the nuts he gathered from the branches. And we rode forgetful of the excellence of the tea that the herdsman's wife had set before us, full of dreams of a forgotten civilization, each maintaining to the other that the art of ancient Ireland must have been considerable, since a little handful was come down to us despite the ravening Dane and the Norman Worse than the Dane, for the Dane only destroyed, whereas the Norman came with a new culture when Ireland was beginning to realise herself. If he had come a few centuries later, we should have had an art as original as the Chinese. The miles flowed under the wheels. We had come so far that it seemed as if we might go on for another hundred miles without feeling tired, and the day, too, seemed as if it could not tire and darken into night. We passed a girl driving her cows homeward. She drew her shawl over her head, and I said that I remembered having seen her long ago in Mayo, and I answered before the tumuli she was. And that is the end of the chapter. Cool, we did a whole chapter. Bit of a short chapter, but always feels good to get a whole one done. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.